0: I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles, if you would, to James uh, chapter 1. We're back in James this morning. Everyone says the book of James is so practical. Well, there's a reason for that. James is written to the first wave of believers in the first century after the Holy Spirit has been poured out among God's people and men and women begin to come to faith in Jesus Christ and in and around Jerusalem. The first thousands and thousands of church members are Jewish, and for all of their lives, at least uh, the vast majority of them, as far as we can tell, had, had lived either culturally or intentionally as Jews following the Old Testament law. Now they have to learn how to walk by faith in a Christ, in a Messiah who died for them and rose again. And without a doubt, James, the brother of Jesus, who appears to be the leading pastor of the church in Jerusalem in Acts 15, has been teaching them what it means to follow Jesus Christ day by day. But now that these Jewish believers have been scattered abroad throughout the empire because of persecution, James is sending a letter out full of practical spiritual wisdom to encourage them in their day-to-day walk with the Lord. That's why this book seems so simple and it seems so practical. It's it's about how we need to live every single day. And James's key message, if I could sum it up, is what I have here on the screen: live up to your faith. You say you are following Jesus, you say you desire to be his disciple, this is how you live it. James is a lot of simple wisdom, but he's not just giving us a little flowery lesson. James is polemical in this letter. He says over and over again, you're thinking this way and doing it this way. That's not the way to do it. That's not the way to think. You need to leave this way instead. He's being very pastoral. And as we've seen, each few verses are a treasure trove of wisdom. James stops our unspiritual and unscriptural thinking in its tracks. And he encourages us to follow the Lord and live out the scripture in a way that may seem counterintuitive to our culture. He tells us to embrace our trials joyfully and to seek the Lord for wisdom sincerely and to face temptation knowledgeably and to acknowledge God's gifts gratefully. We've looked at all of those lessons so far in James 1. But I think the verses in James 1 that we're coming to this morning are some of the most well-known and practical of all. Verses 19 through 25 is going to be our focus this Lord's Day and next, Lord willing. They challenge us about what is likely the most significant spiritual area in our whole walk with God, at least one that connects with every other part of our spiritual walk. Namely, our daily obedience to the divine word of God, our daily obedience. So let's begin reading in verse 19. James says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. I'm going to press the pause button here for just a second. When you you begin to read verse 19, you're tempted to think immediately that this is a verse about some practical wisdom in how we should deal with other people. Being ready to hear, but slow to speak and slow to anger. I mean, people in general tend to understand that they can come across as shallow babbling brooks if they're always running their mouths, but still waters run deep, we hear. The person who thinks carefully and is sparing with his words is considered wise. Proverbs says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Or as someone told me a long time ago, it's better to be thought of as a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. This is just practical human wisdom. But James is not speaking here of general wisdom in our relationships with other people. Notice what he says in verse 21, therefore... That is, because of this, based on this, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. In other words, what James is saying in verses 19 and 20 have everything to do with this implanted word, the word of God. In fact, the hinge on which these verses turn is James' exhortation to receive with meekness the implanted word. That's why I'm titling my sermon on these verses, Receive God's Word with Meekness, or Receive God's Word Meekly. So the next verses follow on this theme. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. meekly. Now, what does James mean by this? Receive God's word meekly. Let's take a few moments and unpack this clause together. The word receive means to welcome, to embrace, to be glad about. Okay, so when you hear a knock at the door and you're not expecting anyone sitting in your living room, what goes through your mind? Oh, no. Is it someone trying to sell something? Is it a political candidate? Is it a cult? And, and if you, you do not recognize the person when you look out the window, you might open the door cautiously. You know, uh, hi, can I help you? And you're trying to be polite. And inside, you're waiting to find out whether or not you really want to help this person. But you probably have family or friends that if they just showed up at your door completely unannounced, as soon as you realized who it was, you would throw open the door and be glad and embrace them and say, come in. How are you doing? Thanks for stopping by. Do you need something to eat? What can we do for you? You want to spend the night? You know, there's people we know that we don't care when they show up. We just love their company. That's what it means to receive someone, to welcome them, to celebrate them, to rejoice in them. And that's the proper attitude that we also need to have toward the Word of God, to love it in a way that we welcome it any We're eager to read it or hear it proclaimed. Reading the Word is one of the favorite things we have to do. If this does not describe you, then you need to begin obeying what James says here but there's another attitude that attaches itself to receiving the word of God. Notice he says that we are to receive it with meekness. Meekness is one of those words we don't use very often. And when we use it, we may not be using it exactly the way that the Bible uh, uses it. Meekness is is humility. Meekness is submission to what is right. Meekness is the opposite of self-assertion and wanting your own way about everything. Meekness is however, is more than simply compliance. Meekness is a gentle and patient surrender of our will to whatever God wants us to do. That's a really good definition of meekness, a gentle and patient surrender of our will to whatever God wants us to do. It's a quality That is generally lacking in modern American culture. Uh, We don't see it very much among our government officials. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. We don't see it very often in the heads of our companies. Sadly, I'm afraid we sometimes do not see meekness even among our religious leaders and pastors in America. We do see it from time to time in our pets. Some of you have well trained dogs, and your dog loves you. He rejoices when you come home, and your dog's joy is to wait for your command. You call your dog, and he waits for further instruction you say, stay, and he stays. And, and when you turn your back and walk a little way, he's still there. And then you turn around and you say, come. And your dog run toward, runs towards you when you say, come. And he's motivated only by the fact that he's going to get praise from you because he loves you. He cannot wait to do whatever you've asked him to do. We've actually never had a dog like that. Um, <laughs> we have a beagle named Todd. Todd. Um, that we sort of have a love-hate relationship with. When, when Rena and I come home from being away, he is so excited to see us. It's hard not to love a dog that, doesn't, that loves you so much. And, and he starts howling and we have to sit down and he snuggles up to us. But if he's doing something he's not supposed to do, like you have to get him down from somewhere for the fourth time that he's not supposed to be, he growls at you like he's going to bite you. And, and if you get onto him and scold him and say, that's wrong, you shouldn't do that, he, he doesn't cower and, and, and be like, oh, I'm sorry. He goes, you know, he starts showing his teeth, you know, like, uh, like I'm not listening to a thing you're, you're telling me. Uh, there's a saying that all dogs go to heaven. Um, but truth be told, I think Todd should probably be on our prayer list. Um, <laughs> either way, he, he does not receive my word with meekness uh, when I have to get onto him. But we have a dachshund. Uh, named Holly, who is a very good girl for the most part, but sometimes she just refuses to cooperate. Like we're on a walk and she just decides the walk is over and she just stops and she will not walk anymore and it turns into a real drag. And then um, years ago when we lived up the mountain in Saluda, we had a retriever named Starlight who only pretended to be meek. Uh, She would always be doing something bad when we weren't looking, usually involving bread. I don't know how she did it. That dog was like magic. She would get the bread off the counter sometime, a whole bag of it, and she would sneak off and she would eat the whole thing. And she knew she was doing wrong, the way she would slink away. She knew this was not right, and yet she would do it as long as she could get away with it. One time, in fact, we looked down the hill to the house of our neighbors who had recently gone to the grocery store, and there was our retriever, Starlight, sneaking off their porch, heading into the woods with one of their bags of bread that they had just come back from Ingalls with. And we never told them about it. I don't know. I think we probably should have. I was thinking about that when I wrote that this morning. But anyway, um, I think that God gives us our animals sometimes to help us understand things about ourselves. Uh, We don't normally think of ourselves as disobedient to God. In fact, most of us would think, I I obey God pretty well. I'm, I'm not a bad person. But we do at times get stubborn about following God's word. There are things we just don't want to do or things that we are unwilling to stop doing. And when someone confronts us about it, we can get irritated. We could even get angry about it. Or maybe we are compliant for most of the time, but then there are just those days or weeks when we put the brakes on and we say no to God. Or maybe we fake obedience so that we look okay on the outside, but on the inside we are simply biding our time, waiting for an opportunity to make space for what we really want to do. But God's standard is a joyful, eager, welcoming at all times, a reception of God's word because we desire to submit to it humbly and obediently. Before we even read or hear the word of God preached or taught, our hearts are already yearning to say yes to God. That's our attitude according to this text. The German Bible scholar Adolf Schlatter had a deep and abiding love For the Word of God. He was somebody who passed away in the early 1900s, but his writings are still with us. In fact, when people ask me why I'm taking classes in German, my typical answer is so that I can read Adolf Schlatter in the original. Actually, so that I can read almost any of him. Most of his work is completely untranslated still. But once on a train, Adolf Schlatter found himself speaking to a man in his cabin. And when the man found out who he was speaking to, he said, I understand you're one of those men who take your stand on the word of God. But Schlatter answered, actually, that's wrong. I do not take my stand on the word of God. I take my stand under the word of God. He said, those who stand on the Word may simply still control it or trample on it, but to stand under the Word of God is to be humbly controlled by the Word as we act in submission to its teaching. That's how we should regard the Word of God. Now, there's another question that might come up as you read this. What does it mean, the implanted Word? He's not envisioning the Word like a tree planted in the ground. He's actually most likely thinking about the word of God being implanted in us. Like when Paul says in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it make its home in you. He may be drawing on imagery from Jeremiah 31, where God says regarding his people, the Jews, that one day I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. Because in the first century, people typically didn't have their own copy of the scriptures. Don't imagine the early believers getting up in the morning and grabbing a cup of coffee and taking their scroll and going out and having their devotions. That's not the kind of life they lived. They didn't have copies of the scripture. It would be really rare for someone to have the Hebrew text to themselves. In fact, reading and writing was not even as ubiquitous as it is in our culture. In their culture, they would listen and remember. They would meditate. They would rehearse the scripture. So it was a natural thing to talk about the world, the word being inside of them, implanted. But I think it's even more than that. I think that the scripture suggests that the word of God ought to be so important that it makes its home in us, that we meditate upon it day and night. So, as I said, this clause here in verse 21 is the hinge upon which all of the verses we're looking at, 19 through 25, turn. So Now let's see how the rest of the passage fits with this idea. So James begins his entire text by saying, let every person be quick to hear. Now that we understand the context, we know that James is not merely talking about human communication. When James says every person be quick to hear, this is not simply a matter of physical hearing. This is a matter of obeying. When you were young and your mom and dad got onto to you about something and they said, do you hear me? Do you hear me? They did not mean, you know, are the sound waves going through the air from my voice and, 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 and uh, vibrating your eardrum so there's a physical, act- physical activity of hearing. That's not what they meant at all. What they simply meant was, Are you going to obey me? Are you listening with the intent to obey? We have the word hear and we use it the same way in our English language as it was used in the Greek language. It could just mean physical hearing or it could mean hearing with an intent to obey. And we see the contrast, don't we, in verse 22 when he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. That's not a different word for hearing. It's the same word for hearing that you see in verse 19. But you've got hearing or obeying, And you've got hearing only in the passage, which is just physical hearing with no obedience. So James begins the whole passage by calling upon each believer to be quick to hear and respond to God's word. So would any of us have to say that there are some changes we need to make in our lives with regard to how we hear and respond to the word of God? I feel like it's kind of a trick question because if you're hearing the passage preached this morning but you're thinking about something else for some reason or you're saying, you know, I don't need this or you're just biding your time until the service is over and you can get back to what you really want to do. And in fact, if you're doing anything this morning as we read this text besides humbly saying, yes, Lord, this is right. I need to be quicker to hear just like James says, then we ought to be under conviction. What can I do this week to welcome the word of God into my life more? What are ways that I can be more obedient to what I know God wants for my life this week? You need to realize that you are the very person James is trying to help here. In fact, I feel like this is kind of a sermon where the preacher has the upper hand. I mean, I'm literally became in a text of scripture that puts you under conviction if you're not listening to my sermon this morning. Uh, that's come to mind several times this week. But keep in mind that those who preach the scripture rightly have first preached it to themselves. I'm the target of this text also. In other words, we are all under this text. And every one of us can improve by God's grace in our hearing and receiving and submission to the eternal divine word of God. I preached in chapel Uh, on the BJU campus back in uh, late February. It was actually the week after Bible conference. And Alan Benson, who is in charge of student development and ministry advancement on the campus, made an announcement to the students right at the beginning of chapel uh, the day I preached. He said, this is a time when God's word is going to be preached. And he said, I noticed during Bible conference last week that some of you were not engaged when God's word was being read and explained and proclaimed. He said, I noticed some of you on your phones, or you had your earphones in, or your, your AirPods, or your uh, earbuds, or whatever they're doing these days. They, you see all these things in people's ears. I, I noticed you had those in. And he explained to them the reason they need to give their full attention to the word of God. And he said, when we stand for the first song, I want you to take out your earbuds And if you have them in and put your phones away and give attention to the preaching of God's word. And it was a really good fatherly exhortation. He said, you know, I'm just, I'm like, I'm like your dad up here. You need to do this. And it was, it was really well done. I thought, I asked him after chapel, I said, now, did students actually have their ear, their AirPods in their earbuds during the sermon, like during, during the chapel, did they do that during Bible conference? And Alan said, Yeah. He said, during one Bible conference sermon, I sat behind a couple of students who were watching a Disney movie on their phones during the whole time. And I'm telling you, maybe I'm completely naive, but my jaw was on the floor about this time. You have to remember, when I attended Bible conference as a college student in the 80s, if we ever did something like that, fire would literally come down from heaven and consume us, okay? So I, I knew, I mean, I've seen it happen, you know? So, so we were scared to do it. But... Um, I said, you know, what did the other students around do? Were they like, hey, he doesn't need to put that away. He said, no, they were watching it with him, you know? And so, of course, uh, Alan had a long time uh, with those students after the Bible conference service was over, over, and I talked to him a little bit about that and the response and all that. But I talked to my sister that day after my chapel sermon. She came to chapel that day. And I told her what Alan Benson had said to me privately. And I'm like, can you believe that? My sister's like, Greg, after he made the announcement, there were students in front of me watching a movie on their phone during your entire chapel sermon. Well, I'll tell you, I'm still beside myself about this. It bewilders me. How can young adults who identify themselves as believers in Christ have so little regard for the preaching of God's word, for the gathering of fellow believers for the express purpose of hearing the word of God taught and proclaimed. I mean, okay, maybe they had their AirPods in when Alan Benson made the announcement and they didn't hear. <laughs> they weren't supposed to have them in, you know, and, 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 and be listening. But still, I want to know how they can show so much arrogance and boldness as to thumb their noses at the entire notion of gathering for the hearing of God's word. I mean, does anyone think I sound prudish or narrow-minded or self-righteous to be so concerned about this? Is my outrage, like, overstated? I'm glad most of you agree with me. Okay, I hear that. (laughs) Amen. But I want you to think for a minute. If you agree with me on this, you and I both need to press the pause button and just reflect upon our own lives for a moment. How often do we ourselves show the same disregard for the word of God. When we feel like we have too much going on in our lives to take time to read it, or we read it quickly so that we can say we read our Bible, but we don't really engage, we don't really consider what we're reading, or when we let our minds wander because we're already familiar with the text, it doesn't really hold any fascination for us anymore, we don't deal with the problems in our lives that God is telling us to deal with in the word. In other words, I myself am just as capable as Of as much arrogance, just as much dismissiveness and contempt for God's word as these students. I mean, God forbid, but perhaps the students are simply fleshing out on the outside what many of us are doing on the inside. And by the way, I want to say, now that I said that, I am grateful to you as a congregation when it comes to the subject of engaging with the preaching and teaching in this church, you realize that the preaching of teaching here at Gateway, whether it's me or others handling the word, we none of us are just sort of skating over the text. We, we, we don't try to go too deep so nobody understands what in the world is going on. We, we, we try to say this is the meaning of the text in it's context. And we try to unpack it uh, in the original language and, and try to lay the moral weight of the text for our time upon the hearers. That takes time. Uh, we need to walk through the text. We need to understand it. And sometimes the preaching gets long for that reason. And sometimes the text is challenging to explain But I want to say, I could not preach like this here if it were not for the fact that I was ministering to brothers and sisters who are hungry to know the word of God at that level. If you didn't really care that much, the sermons would be completely different. The truth is, I've lost track of numerous times, various ones of you have encouraged me about how much the Lord is teaching you and how you were enjoying a sermon series or looking forward to a study of a particular text. Or when and I go a little bit over time and I hear people say, and I, I apologize for that, but I've been told by congregation here, members here and there, never apologize. You could have kept going. And that's my favorite comment. I, I'm encouraged by that every time I get up here, just so you know. You look forward to our times in the word. That, 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 that always is something I think about. And you comment on and you discuss the text and you ask questions. I mean, we even have children from various families who have expressed their disappointment that the Revelation series is over. Okay, what children actually look forward to preaching on Revelation? So I want to commend you as a body for that kind of attitude that is at least prevalent enough where I hear about it all the time. But at the same time, we need to be introspective. We need to think, do we really love the word? Do we desire to know the word? Do we yield to the word? Does the word change us? That's what James is challenging with us, challenging us with here. Now, speaking of long sermons, I've just come to the end of my introduction. Uh, and all I've been doing this morning really is introducing the idea of receiving the word meekly. That's the theme of the text. But if we start looking carefully at the rest of the text, we will notice that this is a cluster of exhortations that warn us about several ways we can respond wrongly to the word of God and miss the blessing and transformation of God's word for our lives. In fact, that's how I want to approach our study of the rest of this text. For the moments we have left together this morning, and then again next week, we'll we'll pick up the theme next week. When we look at these verses closely, we realize that James is warning us of four critical ways that we can disengage from God's word rather than welcoming it and humbly submitting to it. And I'm going to show you all of these critical ways and then we'll begin to look through them. James warns us that we can dismiss the word in hastiness because he says that we are to be slow to speak and we'll come to that in a moment. He also warns that we can resist the word in anger. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And he says, we can ignore the word in sin. And this is why he calls upon us to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, which is not as fun to say as the King James reads, superfluity of naughtiness. But it's the same idea. Rampant wickedness as something that is mutually exclusive to receiving the word with meekness. If we've got sin going in in our lives and we're not confessing it, we cannot properly engage with the word. And finally, James warns, we can disobey the word in self-deception. That's the problem in verses 22 through 25. These verses that are so familiar to us. Be doers of the word and not hearers only because you are deceiving yourselves, he says. You think your walk with God is just fine because you read your Bible or you listen to sermons. And you can join in expressing moral outrage about the thought of professing Christians watching the Disney Channel during a sermon. But if there is no active participation in the word leading to a changed life, then you are pulling the wool over your own eyes, he says. Because you are no better off. You are still far away from the blessing of obedience. So with all this in mind, let's turn our attention for a few more minutes to these warnings that the Lord is offering us through James. And we'll consider just the first one for a few minutes and we'll pick up next Lord's Day uh, with the others. So first, rather than receiving or welcoming God's word meekly and humbly with an intent to obey it, James says we can dismiss the word in hastiness. And this is how I'm explaining James's very simple statement that we need to be slow to speak in verse 19. Now, what does this mean? Remember, this is connecting with the Word of God. The whole whole theme of this text is about the Word. Have you ever been guilty of a conversation with someone in which you cared more about what you were trying to say than what the other person was trying to say? Or maybe you've been on the receiving end of such a conversation where it became very obvious that the person you were talking to was not listening to you at all. In fact, all the other person was doing was using the time that you were speaking to think of the next thing he or she was going to say. That's not good communication skill. Or maybe someone asked you to do something, and halfway through you decided, okay, I got this, I understand, I know what you want to do, and you were off and running, and later you discovered you had the wrong idea about what you were supposed to accomplish, what you were supposed to do, and now you've wasted time and resources because you didn't take the time to listen to the instructions fully or maybe you were asked to help someone make a decision, or you were asked to arbitrate in the matter, and after only a few minutes of listening to both sides, you're thinking, okay, I've heard all I need to hear, and you make a judgment call or give advice based on limited understanding. This is the very reason that Proverbs 18.13 warns, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame. Now, Take these human principles, these, these, these godly human principles, and apply the same principle to hearing the word of God. How often have we been too quick to speak? We hear the word and we think, oh yeah, I know that. I've heard that. I've got that. I get that. I understand. And in all honesty, we have not properly engaged with the word. We have not reflected on it. Familiarity has bred contempt. We've not asked the question, am I obeying this word? We've not given the divine word proper time for reflection as if I've gotten everything out of this verse. I know you've all given this testimony before that you read something that you've had memorized all your life and God said something. He spoke to you through that verse in a way you've never seen it before. But because we are impatient when it comes to what we think we already know, we we speak too fast. We dismiss it too fast. I think I've said it before, but we can listen to the Word of God the same way we listen to a flight attendant give the instructions before takeoff. Really, if it's one of your first times flying, you may actually look at the printed instructions in the, the, the pocket in the seat uh, that you're looking at. And, and you note where the exits are, and you make a mental note of the fact that if the mask drops, you're supposed to put it on your own face. And even if the oxygen, even if the airbag doesn't inflate, it's still flowing with oxygen. And you're supposed to do that before you help somebody else sitting next to you. See, I got this whole thing memorized. Um, and we're thinking, you know what, I could stand up and give this flight instruction for myself and, 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 and do a better job maybe than the, the air, uh, flight attendant is. So I'm just not really going to pay attention That may work on an airplane, but that is a dangerous attitude when it comes to the Word of God. And James knows this. In fact, he's writing to people who grew up with the Word. Think about it. The Jews were the people through whom God literally provided His Word for the rest of the world. Paul says in Romans 3 that the Jews had a great advantage over the rest of the world because they were entrusted with the oracles of God. If anyone was familiar with the word, it was the Jewish people. It was both a great blessing to them and a great danger. And we're in the same situation today if you think about it. Many of you don't even have a paper Bible with you this morning because you have the Bible on your device uh, in fact, I, I find myself rarely actually reading when I'm in the pulpit from the Bible because I'd have to put my reading glasses on, you know, truth be told. Uh, I've got everything here on my iPad. I've got all the scripture and everything so that I can be seeing you, you know, while I'm, while I'm looking at my notes at the same time. So we have these, these wonderful devices that keep the Word in front of us. There's a, there's a, a, a site called uh, Bible Gateway, that has 232 translations of the Bible in 74 languages. If, you know, if you're familiar with that site, you know what I'm talking about. You can pull that up on your phone right now and look at the Bible in, in any language you can think of and look at so many translations. Not only is the word at our fingertips, there are numerous websites and apps that can explain the Bible and teach the Bible, and there are sermons and lessons, both audio and visual, everywhere we want to find them in any denomination, conservative or progressive, we can find teaching on the word of God. This must mean then that believers in the U.S. are some of the most godly Christians in the world because they constantly have the word of God right in front of them. There is no longer any hour that passes or any activity we can engage in and no place where we can go where we don't have the living word of God at our fingertips. And yet we know that this has not made the church any more godly. In fact, the evidence is that the church is steeped in worldliness, that doctrine is being challenged and torn down in many sectors of Christianity because believers are caving into the culture and the philosophy of the culture. How can this be? For the simple reason that even though we have the word, we all too easily dismiss the word as if we already know it all, as if there is nothing more God can teach us. We're too quick to dismiss it. We're too quick to speak, to answer, to justify. And James says, if we're going to live up to our faith, we cannot treat God's word so lightly. Rather, he says, we need to rejoice in it. We need to be eager to hear it to read it again and again, and to say, Lord, change me by your grace. Give me wisdom and strength and courage to live out your word daily. Whatever it is that needs adjustment in your life, whatever you need to rearrange in your routine, whatever you need to do to add to your routine, whatever you need to change about your attitude, may God give us grace as his church to humbly and meekly get under the word in submission, in obedience. That's what God wants for us. That's his standard, not mine. That's his standard. This is what it means to live up to our faith. Father, thank you.